putting that on. All right, we on? Yeah, okay, yeah, takes a little while. Hey, welcome again. Glad you're here. You braved the level two snow emergency and you came to church. Appreciate you being here. And again, we've got Paulding joining us this morning and people on the internet, maybe even a, a few tuned in from Thailand. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. Love this church. Anyway, uh, wanted to update you on something from a few weeks ago. Remember we had that church vote thing and uh, that all came in real good. Over, over 96% of you voted, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing uh, and break ground on this. So that was nothing new. It was stuff we'd already been planning on doing. It's just another step. We thought, hey, one more time, we got to put this before the congregation and appreciate your, your vote on that if you participated. Thank you. And then, many of you know, how many of you know that there was a team in Thailand the last uh, couple of weeks or so? Just got back on that Thursday afternoon we got in, uh, worked on Friday, and uh, this is our group, and so I'm kind of back to normal schedule-wise. This is us in the Chiang Mai airport. They had a little delegation of kids that came and met with us. Uh, it was late in the evening, so it was kind of cool to see them, and we just had a great, great trip. This trip was a little bit different than some other trips in that we also uh, not only saw our orphanages, and, and again, if you're new at Grace, we have two orphanages in Thailand uh, near a town called Chiang Mai in northern Thailand. There's a smaller town outside that called Doi Saket, and ours are Doi Saket number three and Doi Saket number four are the two orphanages that we support. But uh, we actually took some time, went to the Burma border and visited some refugee camps there. And we took them some food and uh, tried to help them a little bit. And that's, that's what you see in these images. Also met with some people that are doing some work there, uh, including a couple of uh, Baptist pastors. Uh, here's a, a church and a school they have for the refugees. And this guy uh, that's there in the blue shirt, we're partnering with him a little bit now. And also his dad's also a pastor in another area and has a school as well. We're going to help these guys minister to the Burmese people while they're in Thailand. But, and so that was all good as, as we looked at those things. But the main reason we went was to see our kids. And it's been a while. That's Tom Price. And uh, they're riding in the back of these little pickups, just like a little um, Toyota pickup. And then it's got this contraption on the back where they have two benches, sometimes a third bench down the middle like they do there, and they just pack these kids in. When I first went, I thought that was unique to Asia's Hope, but these things are all over the place. They have taxis like this, just the way they, they do mass transit. But uh, it's kind of cool. When you travel with a group of guys, like from the church, you, you find out things about them you never knew before. So that, that'll kind of speak for itself. That's uh, Tim and Jeremy. But, and then also when you're interacting with kids... They're, they're kind of figuring you out, and then they're finding the unique things about people from the United States. And so they check that out. And uh, so that's just part of it. They come up and pat your belly like, man, you guys are big. And that, that's just, they did that, to, I think, to all of us. But we had a wonderful time there. Uh, check it out, the kids. Here's one of the, the girls I remember from visits years ago. And Boy, they're just growing up. I think we have four or five students that are 17 now, just getting ready to graduate from high school. We will help launch them either to college or to a Votech or get them started in some business. We're going to try to do that, so we're figuring all that out. Here's Troy doing a selfie. Those are some shirts. We, we brought them Grace Community shirts. All the children got 
a green shirt. And, uh, and then not only those shirts, but Zach brought them all Kalahari shirts from K-15. And so they all got loaded down. He's actually in the middle of all that. And uh, Zach kind of connected with the kids better than all of us. He speaks teenage. And it doesn't matter what culture. Um, he's interacting with them. They had just running wars and jokes the whole time. He learned some Thai phrases like, I win, you lose. And he was using that all the time. Here's, here's three, of, three of our girls. The middle one, uh, she's actually very good in English. She's going, her plans are, is to attend an all-English-speaking college uh, that's located somewhere outside of Bangkok. And then the girl next to her, a gang, she's, uh, she plays the guitar and, and she's very talented as well. It's just neat to see these kids blossoming and they're just having a great time. There's Lynette Kirsch in the background, just kids having fun. It's just great to connect with them. So, uh, and then also there's our staff. The newest couple on our staff is on the left side. And, and they are just a dynamic couple. They're both uh, Bible college graduates in Thailand. Uh, the guy on the left is C, and his wife is Yupin, and they oversee uh, DS4. And then Chit's been with us for a long time. He helps at DS4. And then uh, some other staff members are, uh, this is Pastor uh, Boone and his wife Nong. Pastor Boone uh, he, he runs, he's the, the parent of DS3, and he's also a pastor and evangelist. He actually goes sometimes by himself, sometimes with the kids, up to the hill tribes where it's a little more remote, does evangelism. He now does that about once a month, and uh, we were actually partnering with him to give him some money for medicines and stuff, some of these re remote villages that he visits. Some of them have churches now, some of them don't. And he visits them. We're going to supply some medicines for him to take. And then this young lady on the right, her name is Amporn. She's actually one of our kids who could only make it through school to the sixth grade. Uh, had some limitations in that way. And we've actually kept her on and hired her uh, to help do some laundry and stuff that she's able to do. And, and so she's just kind of a joy to be around. And then here's another couple on the left. That's Nui in the middle. That's Say. And then their three-year-old Bible, and uh, they assist Pastor Boone and Nong in DS3. And just a great staff. They all love the Lord. They're all pointing kids uh, to Jesus, and it's just cool, cool stuff. And we're just privileged, really, to be partnered with them. No, the main thing is just everybody's thriving. What do we have next here? Yeah, all right. That, we took them swimming. One of our kids, they're just thriving. Everybody's just having a great time. And uh, just, just want to tell you, if you're giving to grace or you're serving in our church in any way, thank you. Because you're making this possible. And specifically, if you happen to be giving toward our orphan fund, I mean, just us being the church who we are makes all this possible. But if you're going the extra mile and giving toward our orphans, thank you. I, I can tell you, what you're doing is making a huge impact on these kids. These are kids that came from Northern Hill Tribes. They're not considered Thai citizens. We buy them citizenship. They don't know the Thai language because they know the tribal languages. We teach them Thai. We teach them a little bit of English. We feed them, educate them, clothe them, house them, and they know that's all coming from Northwest Ohio Grace Community Church. It's a very, very cool thing. And they are very appreciative. If you ever get a chance to go, we plan on going once every other year. 
or once every 18 months or so. If you ever get a chance to go, if you think you'd enjoy that, I encourage you to do it. The only bad part is a 14-hour plane ride. That's no fun, but otherwise, it's a great time. Well, we're in a series called STEAM, and uh, talking about motivation for our Christian life. And last week, Tim talked about pursue Jesus and focus mainly on uh, prayer and the Bible. And today we're talking about how as, as we follow Jesus, do the life that Jesus wants, part of that is showing compassion. Show compassion. And there's actually a story in the Bible, there's several, but one I want to focus in on this morning that draws that out, and it's from Luke chapter 7. And it begins in verse 11, and it's the story of the widow of Nain, and I would like to read it for you. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible or a Bible on the chair rack in front of you or your electronic device, you can follow me. Verse 11, soon afterwards, he, meaning Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And that's what we're talking about. When, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, do not weep. And he came up, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. So anytime something like this happens, it's obviously displaying the power of God and Jesus' power. But that's really not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is the compassion of Jesus. And as we do that today, I really want to kind of focus on it maybe by answering three questions. And that is compassion, what is it? And then also what it does and what it means to us. Now, this word, this Greek word that is translated compassion in Luke chapter 7, verse 13. It's a very unique and rare word. It's kind of a weird word because it has to do with something coming from our bowels, our entrails, our guts. And it's like an emotion that's deep-seated in the center of our being flowing out from our guts. It's this gutsy compassion. And that's, that's the word that's used there. And when you think about it, I think that really comes and speaks to, first of all, the source of compassion. You see, notice in this story, the widow didn't come to Jesus and ask for help. The widow didn't beg. The widow didn't ask. The widow didn't have faith. The widow didn't do anything. Jesus did this because it was a response that he had toward her out of compassion. He, he sees her grief and he sees her anguish and compassion just pours out of the guts or the heart of Jesus and he meets her needs. And, there, and it may be that today some of you 
got up, you, you, you braved the sub-zero temperatures to come to church, but really deep down inside, you're suffering or you're grieving or you're in anguish over something. And I'm here to tell you, God cares about you. God loves you. God will meet your deepest need because he has compassion for you. Don't forget that. God hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. Know that. And the deeper your pain, the deeper your anguish, the deeper God's compassion is for you. And you'll never have pain that's, that's deeper than the compassion of Christ. He is there to meet you wherever you're at. I can tell you that. Sometimes when we talk about the source of compassion, we understand that that's from God. Well, how does that work for us? Where's our source of compassion? And really, it's, it's from God. When I, was, uh, when I was younger, part of the time growing up, I lived in Roswell, New Mexico. And if you can imagine, it's southern New Mexico. It's very arid. You, there'll be miles and miles and miles. You'll, you'll never see a tree. And we traveled around, did a lot of camping and stuff. I know that sounds weird because to you guys, you know, it's like desert because you're from Ohio where everything grows everywhere. But back there, one of the places we'd go near Roswell was a little town called Artesia, tiny speck of a town. But if you'll recognize that name, Artesia, it was named after Artesian wells of water that sprang up around this area. Very unique, especially for that kind of country. And we'd always stop the car on the highway and, and adjacent to the highway, there was, these little wells were everywhere, but there was, was a dry riverbed that we always stopped at. And there wouldn't be much water there, but bubbling up from that dry riverbed about this high was an artesian well. And then we, you know, me and my brothers, we'd always get down on our hands and knees and we'd drink that water, fill up our canteens, fill up our, our jugs for wherever we were heading, and we'd have this artesian water. We loved it. And the thing about it is that flowed all the time. 24-7, every minute of every day, of every week, of every month, of every, I mean, just flowed and flowed and flowed. There was no end to it. That's the compassion of God that flows into our lives. There's no end. And because of that, that's how we can show compassion without running out, without drying up, without shriveling up. We can keep pouring out compassion on other people because we have God's compassion constantly flowing into us. Think about how it is for like these couples uh, that minister to our kids. Could you imagine you have 25 to 30 kids? You're the parents, the mom and dad for them. There's another couple that helps you. But they have needs constantly. And people like C and his wife, they're just there constantly giving constantly showing care and compassion for these kids 24-7. It never ends. The needs never stop. How do you do that? How do you keep doing that without burning out? Well, that's possible if you're constantly refreshed by the ever-flowing compassion of God in your life. That makes it possible. And that's what we see. And not only does this word, this kind of strange word, talking about this compassion flowing from the source of it is like the guts the internal organs, the, the center of Jesus, it also speaks to the intensity of compassion, it, the, the power of it in Jesus' life. And we see it in this story toward this woman. The intensity of compassion is always tied 
to the depth of someone's love for the person that they're being compassionate toward. And here we see Jesus kind of showing this incredible compassion that he would unleash the power of God to raise this woman's son as he sees her despair and her anguish. Compassion, what it is. Next question is, compassion, what does it do? And what it does really is action. The compassion of Jesus always results in action. It's never, oh, I feel real bad, see you later. He always responds with action. And that's the way we want to be. We want to respond to people's needs with compassion. But it's a little different for, for us. Because what happens is it's very easy for us that our, our compassion is not as pure as Jesus. When we do good things, sometimes it's just to meet a need. But a lot of times what quickly happens is we kind of feel good about ourselves for doing that. Say it's, uh, say it's Christmas time and you're walking into a store and they have a bell ringer there. And you have a few bucks and you put it into the bucket. And you'll take a few more steps if you're anything like me. And you kind of feel good about that. Or... Somebody will be broken down on the side of the road, and you'll stop your car. You'll roll down the window. Hey, do you need any help? Everybody has cell phones now. More and more people don't need help. No, I'm fine. But even if they, whether they need help or don't need help, when you drive off, you're kind of feeling good about yourself. You see, all of a sudden, we show compassion, but, but part of it is to feel good about ourselves. And if it's not that, it's... So others would feel good about us. So we stand up like if you're a preacher and you tell people, hey, I stopped and helped somebody in a car, which I've done that. So, you know, and I've done that. So you, you say, yeah, I stopped to help this person because I want everybody to know that I'm, I'm a good person, that I tried to do something nice. And all of a sudden we realize that our motives are a little bit mixed. Do you realize that never happened to Jesus? Jesus never helped anybody and thought, oh, this will make me feel better or... This will make me look good in front of other people. Jesus was perfect. If you're perfect, you're never thinking something's going to make you look better. Right? So Jesus, he doesn't stop this funeral procession and then raise this man back to life and then think, well, I wonder what they're thinking about me now. You know, that's not Jesus. He just does it out of pure, only his compassion is totally pure. No mixed motives that we might have to struggle with. He doesn't have that. The compassion of Jesus always moved him to action. And it's kind of interesting what happens here. There's a little more to the story than meets the eye when we read it. You see, Jesus... He's got his disciples, but there's also a crowd following him because they're recognizing him as a, a rabbi, at least, maybe a prophet. And they come to this city that they're going to, and a funeral procession is coming out the city gates. And then he goes there, he speaks to the mom, but then he touches the coffin. Now, in the first century, this word coffin, usually that was more like a, a board or a plank with a wrapped body on top of it and maybe a little lip around it, but it wasn't usually a totally encased coffin like we're thinking about. And they're typically carried on the shoulders. But 
the unusual thing is when Jesus came up and touched this plank or this coffin, that was a showstopper. Because in Jewish law, they, people weren't to touch anything that came in contact with a corpse. Now, the pallbearers are carrying that, but then they're going to have to go through this kind of long ritual to become, because they're unclean now, to become clean. But here Jesus is a rabbi. He's got all these people following him. There's a crowd following this lady. She's a widow. This is her only son. He's dead. There's a lot of grief and anguish going on. Jesus interrupts the funeral, touches the coffin. Everybody gasps, because rabbis don't do this, because that makes you ceremonially unclean. When you're ceremonially unclean, you can't worship God. You can't go to the temple. You can't draw near to God. And all of a sudden, he does this. And it's because of the clean laws. And we kind of get what clean laws are all about. While we were over there, uh, one, one of the men on our team, well, the, the three-year-old that you saw, the son of Nui and Say, named Bible, he, is, he was just getting over the chicken pox. And, you know, we're hugging all these kids and everything, and they just come up and they just swamp you. But, uh, and Bible's doing that too. But one, one of the guys on our team hadn't had chicken pox. So he, for some reason he had to call his wife to figure that out. I don't know why she knows more about his childhood diseases than he does. But anyway, he found out he didn't have chicken pox. And, and so he was kind of concerned, you know, how's this going to go? Everything went fine. And, and we see that all the time in how we interact. Flu season, you know, we wash our hands all the time. We wash our hands, but think about it. When, you come in con when your clean hands come in contact with the virus, you know, what happens? Do, does your clean, do your clean hands make the virus go away? No. The virus contaminates your clean hands because... Viruses or sickness, infection, trumps clean every time, except for with Jesus. It's kind of like this rag I pulled out of my garage early this morning. Now, I washed my hands right before I came, about five minutes before I showed up on the platform here. And so here, here's a rag from my garage. It's a dirty. My hands are very clean. I just wash them. I use the little soap that comes out like shaving cream. I mean, I soaked them up and everything. And so my hands are clean. But nobody's here thinking that my clean hands, if I rub this rag long enough, are going to clean the rag, right? What's going to happen? It's just going to dirty my hands. You see, that's what the clean laws functioned as. In the Old Testament, they were just symbolic laws that the people kept... But it was to teach them that they are unclean before a holy and righteous God. And because of that, they needed something. They, that, the, uh, that God couldn't interact with uncleanness. So they had to go through some rituals to become unclean. The problem is they had to do that constantly. Go through these rituals. Sometimes taking days to be considered clean after, after touching and what God's teaching us through that is that we're all broken, we're all infected, we're all dirty, we're all unclean, and we need some outside help for us to interact with a clean, holy, righteous, pure God. It's the whole point. 
Now, the, the amazing thing about it is when Jesus touches the coffin, he doesn't become unclean. It's like the opposite. Nature is defied. It's turned upside down. And rather what we've all known, what clean laws teach us, what we know from our dirty rags in our garage, what happens, what we know from the flu virus, all that's re reversed. Jesus touches the coffin and rather than him become unclean, death becomes life. And this man is, is raised up and he gives him back to his mom. You see, with Jesus, it's, it, the tables are completely turned. His infinite cleanness has the potential to clean our lives, to clean our souls, to make brokenness whole, and to bring death to life. That's what Jesus means to us. He brings clean, cleansing. He heals us. He gives us joy. So if that's what compassion does, then the last question that we're kind of interacting with is what it means to us. What does compassion, especially the compassion of Christ, mean to us? Well, first thing that we need to think about is when I have a rag like this and I want to wash it, we kind of know where all the dirt goes. You know, we throw it in the in the washing machine, and then it gets sudsed up, and, and then it's rinsed and sudsed and rinsed and rinsed again, and, and all that dirt kind of ends up going down. Here, here's a question. When Jesus touches death, the uncleanness, where does the uncleanness go? Well, where it goes is it's absorbed by Christ. And it's the same for us. Not only are we unclean, and, and God's offering cleansing, which he is, through Jesus. The other aspect is our uncleanness, which is our, our sin against God. It really, it brings upon us the justified wrath of God. Because God says sin has to be punished. And so God's wrath is placed upon us. But Jesus takes care of that too. His death on the cross, really, it absorbed the wrath of God that really belonged to us. Jesus absorbed that on him for us. And actually, there's a, something that Jesus told us to do that celebrates that in the context of the church. Remember, the local church is God's idea. He says, hey, you Christians, you followers of mine, meet together in a local church, hang out with each other, you know, teach, encourage each other, minister, do all these things, and also be a light to everybody else. And so we do that. But then he said, as you meet together, occasionally, didn't tell us how often, you do communion, which is the bread and the cup. And actually, that's what we're doing this morning. It's a celebration of Jesus absorbing God's wrath for us and making us clean in God's sight. His death on the cross. And so, I think, did everybody get one of these elements when you came in to church today? Anybody get missed? Oh, no, you didn't get it when you came in. You got it during that last song, didn't you? All right, you're with me. 
So if you're new, I'll just tell you, these are a little hard to open. We just use these because it's a way for us to all take communion together as a church. But there's two lids. One's a clear cellophane lid, and you can look right through it. That white thing kind of on, on top, that's actually a wafer. So if you just peel the clear thing and not the tin foil, it reveals this little white wafer, this round thing. That's, that's the bread that we're using today. So if you pull that out, and as you're doing that, I want to remind you of a couple things. Jesus told us as a church to do communion. Didn't tell us how often, just not so often that you take it for granted, but do it regularly. So for our church, we do it about five or six times a year. But he also tells us that only believers are to take communion. Only people have come to a point in their life where they've recognized their sin and realized they needed outside help and that only through Jesus could they be made right with God, that there's nothing they can do to do that. Only if you've come to the place in your life where you've called on Jesus for your salvation, knowing it's all him, should you take communion. So if you know you've come to that point, please take communion. If you're not sure, we're at, I'm asking you not to take communion. And I don't want to embarrass you or anything. So just hang on to your little cup. Don't use it. And then when we, we all walk out the doors after the service, we're all going to throw our empties in the trash. It's okay for you to throw your full one in the trash. Again, don't want to embarrass you or anything. It's just we're trying to do this the way God said to do it. But if you're a believer, whether you're a member of Grace Community or not, we want you to, to join in communion with us. That's what God said. Remember, he instituted communion right before the crucifixion. It was the night he was betrayed. He and his disciples were in the upper room. They were celebrating Passover, something that he and the disciples had celebrated every year of their life. Only this time when they sit together to do Passover, Jesus puts a twist in it. And when he gets to the bread, he says, hey, this bread, it's, it's like my body. And when it gets to the cup later, he says, hey, this cup, it's like my blood. And he, enters, he introduces himself into the Passover and he gives us this thing. And then he tells us that that's what we're supposed to do to remember what he did on the cross for us. And so when we talk about how do we take communion... Well, we have to be a believer. And then the whole point is it's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. So we need to reflect on what Christ has done for us. We really need to have that kind of repentant attitude when we do that. So if you're ready, I'd like to read out of Mark 14 where Jesus kind of gets this whole thing going in verse 22. While they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take it. Eat, this is my body. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for pouring compassion out on us because we recognize, Lord, that we don't deserve it. You can't be a Christian and not know that you don't deserve it and that we're broken and that we need help and that we can't save ourselves and there's no good thing we can do to earn heaven or your favor. Lord, it's only your son. And we thank you that that he gave his life, his body, for us. In Christ's name, amen. Church, let's take the bread together.
Then it continues in Mark 14. He says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. You see, Jesus was teaching them that there's a new covenant. There's a new way to, to connect with God. It's not the sacrificial system anymore. It's not the clean laws. It's through his death, through his shed blood. And if right now, if you'll kind of peel back that tin foil and get ready for the cup, we'll have prayer and we'll take it together. Father, again, we thank you that you would allow your one and only son to voluntarily pour out his life blood for us to absorb the wrath the righteous wrath of our sin and to be able to offer us cleansing forever eternal cleansing God we thank you for the blood of Jesus as we take this juice that symbolizes it in Christ's name we pray amen let's take the juice together Father in heaven, how amazing is it that you would pour out such compassion on us. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. What we see over and over in Scripture is that Jesus' compassion is always directed, it seems like, to the most needy, and that carries on through the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of doing the orphanages uh, about every couple of years, we go through different books of the Bible, and about every other year or so, we go through the book of James. And one year, about six, seven years ago, after going through the book of James, we stopped and we came back to James one twenty-seven, where it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Why? Why widows and orphans? Because in the first century, they were the most at risk. They were the neediest physically of the people around. And, and really, to be a Christian, you have to have come to the understanding that, that we're spiritually as needy as we could possibly be. As I've talked to many people about Jesus, I've come to realize the people farthest from God aren't the biggest sinners. It's the people who don't realize they're needy spiritually. They're the hardest to reach. The other thing about compassion is the most compassionate thing we can do for other people... We can feed them, help them, meet their needs. We're supposed to do that. But the most compassionate thing we can do for them is to point them to God. And that's what we're, we're doing in Thailand. We're really, we're providing all these needs for the students, but the most important thing is that they come to know Christ and they grow in him. And we're meeting these refugees at the Burma border and we're helping to feed them. But the most important thing is that they get introduced to Jesus Christ. And we're here growing as a church and we're getting ready to build another building to fit more people. And the reason is because we are concerned about reaching our community for Christ because it's the most compassionate thing that we can do.
is point people to God. And I'm glad that you're with us. And, and if you're new, and if you have any questions, uh, I would just like to tell you, God loves you. God wants a relationship with you forever. And God's paid a tremendous price to make that possible. But you have to respond. I think the greatest need of all of humanity is to be known completely and still be loved. Or to put it another way, it's, it's to, to know that we're loved on our worst day. The worst about us. And that somebody still loves us. If they knew every bad thing about us, they'd still love us. That's God. God knows every bad action you've ever done, every bad thought, every selfish motive. And he still loves you. And he loves you with action. And that's why Jesus came. It's the same thing that, that Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees. Do you remember the story when Jesus called Matthew or Levi? And uh, he was a tax collector. He's sitting in his tax booth, called him to be a disciple. And so he gets up, he leaves his job, which is a pretty good gig, and he starts following Jesus. And then the next thing we see in the Bible, the very next paragraph, is they're having a party at Levi's house. And there's tax collectors and sinners there. And the Pharisees are standing outside, and the disciples are there too. And they're, they're asking the disciples, hey, what's going on here? Why is Jesus hanging out with the druggy prostitute crowd? And then you remember how Jesus responded? In Matthew 9, 12, he says, But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says this. It's very interesting. He says, But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. It comes from Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire, just this little phrase. Go learn what this phrase means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, hey, I came for the sick ones. I came for the people who have come to realize that they need help. That they're broken. That they're dirty. That they're infected. They're sinners. And the first step is just acknowledging that. Because that's, that's the boat that we all live in. And then next is turning to God and calling on Him for salvation by placing our trust in Him alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for pouring out compassion on us that we don't deserve. Even though we're sinning against you and rebellion against you, you still love us with a gut-level, compassionate love that overwhelms us. And God, you give us the ability to respond and turn back and just recognize that, to see it, and then just to turn to you, to call to you, to ask you for salvation by placing our trust in Jesus God, thanks for loving us like that. And Lord, with your love flowing through our lives, help us to show compassion to the people around us, first of all, to point them to you. Here and around the world, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.